بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته اللهم انفعنا بما علمتنا وعلمنا ما ينفعنا وارزقنا علما تنفعنا به آمين يا رب العالمين اللهم رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي Uh, we continue, alhamdulillah, with the fiqh of salah from the book Bulughul Maram of the great imam of hadith Ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, rahimahullahu ta'ala. And we are busy with the chapter Sifatul Salah. Sifatul Salah, we said, is a long chapter that deals in very much detail with the description of the salah. Um, according to the sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So alhamdulillah, every week we touch on a number of ahadith and we derive some benefits. And we learn with evidence how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam prayed and how he instructed his ummah to pray. Right? So we read it without just following, without just implementing, because this is how we were taught growing up, or this is how we imitate the people going up. Uh, now we can see where it comes from, where these various actions come from, that they come from hadith. So we are rest assured this is a sunnah what we are doing and it's correct what we are doing, insha'Allah. Tayyib, the last hadith we covered was the hadith of the dua or the, the, the tasbih or the dhikr to be recited in the ruku and the sujood. What is that dhikr? Anybody memorized it? Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. So that one? Ahsant. Mumtaz. Right? Alhamdulillah. Subhanakallahumma. Rabbana wa bihamdik. Is that the one? So Walid, I'm asking you. Subhanakallahumma. Rabbana wa bihamdik. Allahumma ghfirli. Right? Easy. Not difficult. Easy to memorize. And we spoke about the virtue of the dhikr, now it encompasses which surah? Which surah was revealed before this, the Prophet started to do this dhikr uh, excessively or often? Which surah was revealed? Nope. And after that surah was revealed, he started to make this dhikr. It's got to do with tasbih, tahmeed. Glorifying Allah, praising Allah. Not Asr. Nasr. Fasabih bihamdi rabbika wastaghfir. Glorify the praises of your Lord. Tasbih and tahmeed. Wastaghfir and ask His forgiveness. If you look at that dhikr, Subhanakallah. There's your glorification. Humma wa bihamdik. Your hamd. There's your praise. Rabbana. Subhanakallahumma. Rabbana wa bihamdik. Allahumma ghfirli. Oh Allah forgive me. And there is your seeking of forgiveness. We said when this surah was revealed. Aisha says the Prophet then continuously used to say this dhikr in the ruku and the sujood. Tayyib. We move on to the next hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu. He said, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ إِذَا قَامَ إِلَى الصَّلَاةِ يُكَبِّرُ حِينَ يَقُومُ He says, when Rasulullah stood for salah, يُكَبِّرُ حِينَ يَقُومُ Abu Hurairah. He says, when he approached the salah, or he started the salah, or he stood for the salah, Yukabbiru, he did the takbir, known as the takbiratul ihram, which we've spoken about in detail. Hina yaqum, when he stood. Yani, as he started the salah, he started with the takbiratul ihram. Thumma yukabbiru hina yarka'. Then he did the takbir again, when? He did this through the ruku'. So as he's going into the ruku', he does the takbir again. Thumma yaqulu, sami'allahu liman hamidah. Then he said, Sami'allahu liman hamida, hina yarfa'u sulbahu min al-ruku'. When he basically stood up and straightened his spine and his back, 
from the ruku'ah. You would say, Sami'allahu liman hamidah. What does Sami'allahu liman hamidah mean? This is important. We say this in every salah, every rak'ah. What are we saying? Allahu Akbar, we know what it means. Allah is the greatest. We've spoken about the, the, the virtue of the takbir. We've spoken about the meaning of the takbir. What does Sami'allahu liman hamidah mean? Nope. That's Alhamdulillah. What does the word Sami'a mean? Seen, Mim, Ain, Sami'a. To hear. Sami'a means to hear. So, so that we say Sami'a Allah. Allah hears. Liman Hamidah, the one who praises him. Allah hears the one who praises him. This is a literal translation. Although Ibn Uthaymin says that in this context, the word Sami'a actually means Al-Istijabah, meaning Allah responds to the one who praises him. Understand this? And this happens, this comes in the Quran, where Allah at times uses the word Sami'a in the context of a response. So it's not just that he heard. With the response is that he firstly he heard, but he also responds. Okay? So we say Sami'a Allah al means Allah hears and responds. Or he responds to the one who praises him. We're saying, whenever we say this, we are saying, Allah responds to the one who praises him. This is what Sami'a Allah liman hamida means. Right? Hina yarfa'u, we said this. ثُمَّ يَقُولُ وَهُوَ قَائِمُ رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ Then after he's standing now, after saying Sami'a Allah liman hamida, he's now standing, he then would say, رَبَّنَا وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ Our Lord, to you is all praise. Or unto you is all praise. وَلَكَ الْحَمْدِ or you are deserved of all praise. Right? Alhamd is for you alone. Thumma yukabbiru hina yahwi sajidan. Then he said Allahu Akbar again. When he went down into sajda. When he went down into sujood. Thumma yukabbiru hina yarfa'u ra'sahu. And then he did the takbir again. He said Allahu Akbar. When he raised his head. Yani coming up from the ruku' from the sujood. <coughs> And when he went back into sujood, he did the takbir again. When he came up from the sujood, he did the takbir again. Then he did that, this, this process of the takbirs, in the rest of the salah, throughout the salah, in all of the salah. And he also did the takbir when he stood up from the second raka'ah of the sitting, like the tashahud. You sit in the tahiyyat. When he stands up after the second, again he would say, Allahu Akbar, and you go and you stand up for the, the third raka'ah. This hadith is in Bukhari and Muslim. Now, what is this hadith talking about? The takbirat. Sorry? Not the takbirat al-ihram, the takbirat, all of the takbirs, not just the takbirat al-ihram, right? It's showing us all of the takbirs, okay? From the takbirat al-ihram and the rest of the salah, right? We are seeing all of the, the takbirat, right? The benefits of this hadith, we find that the takbir happens... Whenever we move from one rukun to the next, moving from one rukun of the salah to the next, there's always a, well, most of the days there's a, a takbir. So takbir starts, the rukun starts with takbir, the takbir at al-ihram, right? Then the standing in the salah is a rukun. Then we're going to rukur. Between that is a takbir. Coming up from the rukur is a rukun. That starts with a takbir. Standing there in that point, that point then is a rukun, that's followed by a takbir, you understand? So from as you're moving through the arkan of the salah, between them is a, is a takbir. 
between them is a ruk is the takbir which is to say um Allahu Akbar. Right? So all of these takbirat, what's the ruling on them? Is it sunnah? Is it fard? We say it's a fard. Right? You have to say them. You cannot just skip the takbir. You have to say the takbir as you are moving between the salah. Right? You have to say the takbirs as you are moving uh, through the salah. Especially the takbiratul ihram to start the salah. That is not just fard, that's a rukun. Right? That's a rukun of the salah. There is no salah without the, without the takbiratul ihram. Tayyib. Then Ibn Uthaymin says, also from the benefits of this hadith is that all of the takbirat are the same. They are all equal. What does this mean? Whether you are going down or coming up or bowing and coming up from or in sujood, coming up from sujood or whether it's the takbiratul ihram. All of the takbirat are, are the same and equal. Right? Which means the way you say it is always the same. It's always, what's the word? Constant. You understand? It's just a straight simple Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. As opposed to that elongation. For example, some people when they, maybe when they're standing and they go all the way down, they elongate the takbir. Right? Allahu Akbar. And when they come up, it's a quick one. Allahu Akbar. Back down. Allahu Akbar. When they come all the way up, it's again a elongation. Allahu Akbar. This is not found in the in the explicit sunnah of the Prophet. And from this hadith, we see that there is no differentiation made in the between the takbirat. There are ulama, there are ulama who say that it's good to do that. Right? But there's no explicit proof for this. There's no explicit proof for this. So if somebody does it, we don't say salah is batil or nullified or is sinful. We don't say anything against him. Right? It's, it's an, one of those things where people may do it differently and we accept that. But the advice here is to stick to what's apparent in the sunnah. What's apparent in the sunnah is to keep it constant. It's all equal, all the same. Not to differentiate between them. You understand? Um, and then he says some imams, they say, Allahu Akbar. Have you heard this before? That Allah is loud and the next part is like soft. Just it's like the style that they have or just the way they pronounce it. You know? Um, you don't hear the end of the takbir, you just hear the beginning part. It's almost like it fades away. So Ibn Uthaymin mentions this and he says again, this is not from the Sharia, it's not from the Sunnah to do this. It should be consistent. Allahu Akbar. Simple. You know, straight and simple. And there should be no uh, dragging the takbir or anything. You know, there's no differentiation between them. Make them all the same, that's the best. That's the safest and the best and Allah knows best. Um, also from the benefits of the hadith is that the imam, he says, Sami'allahu liman, hamida, which means? Allah Allah hears and responds to who? The one who praises him, right? And after this, what does he say? Rabbana walak alhamd. Our Lord, and to you is all praise. Alhamd is for you. The question here is now, is this for everybody or the Imam only or, or what? Right? So definitely it applies to the Imam. Imam must say Hamd. But what about the rest? Okay? Obviously a person who's making by himself a munfarid, a person who's praying by himself like a sunnah, or you're praying at home for some reason, the woman maybe, he has to say it or she has to say it. Hamd. As for the ma'moom, the one who's praying in jama'ah behind the imam. Some scholars they say he must say it as the Imam says it. So he must also say Sami Allah Hamida and he must say Rabbana wa Hamd. Ibn Uthaymin says though that the strongest and the preponderant view is that the Ma'moom 
When the Imam says Sami Allahu liman hamida, he only responds by saying Rabbana walakal hamd and he does not have to say Sami Allahu liman hamida himself. Understand this? So the saying of Sami Allahu liman hamida according to this view is only for the Imam. The rest in the congregation they only respond by saying Rabbana walakal hamd. Are you with me? Two evidences for this. The one evidence is found in the hadith. Wherein the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ This is an important hadith. إِنَّمَا جُعِلَ الْإِمَامِ لِيُؤْتَمَّ بِهِ What does that mean? The Prophet said that the imam has been placed to be followed. The imam has only been placed to be to be followed or to be imitated. Understand this? That, that part alone of the hadith goes a long way. And we will see this come up later on. And then in the same hadith he said, it's a lengthy hadith, well, fairly lengthy, but towards the end of the hadith he said, when the imam, al-imam, When the imam makes the takbir, or says the takbir, Allahu Akbar, you must also say the takbir. So what do we get from that? That if the imam says Allahu Akbar and he goes down, the ma'moom, what must they do? They must, they, they must also say Allahu Akbar. That's what the hadith says. Explicitly. If the imam says Allahu Akbar, you must say Allahu Akbar. But when it comes to Sami Allahu liman hamida, that's what the hadith says. When the imam says Sami Allahu liman hamida, then say Rabbana walakal hamd. You see the difference? The Prophet did not say when the Imam says Sami Allah al Hamida, you must also say Sami Allah al Hamida. Like he did with the takbirs. He said, when the Imam says Sami Allah liman Hamida, what should you respond with? Respond with Rabbana walakal hamd. Understand the difference? Is this clear? Is this evidence clear? Another evidence that Bin Uthaymi rahimahullah mentions is like in the Adhan. Something similar happens in the Adhan. What happens in the Adhan? Um, we respond to everything, correct? Whatever the Imam says or the Mu'addin says, we respond by imitating him. He says, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, we say, Allahu Akbar. We respond by saying, Muhammad Rasulullah. We respond by saying, Muhammad Rasulullah. Until he says, Now pay attention to the wording. means come to the salah. So think about it. The Mu'adhin is the one who is calling us. Right? He's the one who's announcing the Adhan. He is saying, Come to the salah. Does it make sense for us to say, in return, come to the salah? It doesn't make sense, correct? We are being invited. We can't say the invite in return. You understand? Come to the salah. So, we say, la hawla wa la illa billah. There is no power, no might, no change of condition except by Allah. So, it's, a, it's an appropriate response that we are taught by the Prophet Because... In reality, we cannot come to the salah, we cannot find our success, except by the will of Allah. Right? So we do not respond by saying, we come to the salah or come to success. And in this case, Ibn Uthaymin says it's something similar. Where the Imam says, Allah responds to the one who praises him. Then what do we say in return? Our Lord and use all praise. You understand? As opposed to us repeating the same thing and saying, Allah responds to the one who... It's, it's as if an imam is inviting you to praise Allah. Where he says, Sami' Allahu liman hamidah. Allah responds to the one who praises him. So our response is, Rabbana walakal hamd. Our Lord and to you is all praise. Are you with me? Whereas to respond by saying again, Our Lord, or Allah responds to the one who praises him. And then we say, Rabbana walakal hamd. 
this is an unnecessary repetition. This is basically the evidence that he brings as well. Right? So that's two evidences. I think the one of the hadith is more explicit. This is more of a, an analogy. The second proof is more of an, of an analogy. The first proof is more explicit. That the hadith doesn't say when the Imam says Samia Allah Hamida, you must say Samia Allah Min Hamida. Rather, you should say Rabbana Walika Alhamd. Araft. Tayyib. So, inshallah, this is the correct view. If the Imam says Samia Allah Min Hamida, we do not have to say the Ma'mum does not have to say in return Samia Allah Min Hamida. He can just respond with Rabbana Walika Alhamd. If he says Samia Allah Min Hamida, is there anything wrong? There's nothing wrong. Okay, we don't say it's as Baatil, it's a sin. No. But if he doesn't say it, there's no problem with that. And he can continue upon this, insha'Allah. Tayyib. Another benefit here is the saying, Rabbana wa hamd. The saying, Rabbana wa hamd. Again, these are those examples that we find in the, in the Sunnah of the Prophet where there are different options given. Different wordings narrated. So for example, Rabbana walaka alhamd. Our Lord, walaka alhamd. Wab just basically means and or with. Right? Walaka alhamd. Another version is, we can think, very similar. Rabbana laka alhamd. Without the wow. Rabbana laka alhamd. This is also from the sunnah. So you can either say walaka alhamd or laka alhamd. Another example is Allahumma Rabbana walaka alhamd. Instead of just saying Rabbana, we can add Allahumma. Allahumma Rabbana walaka alhamd. And a fourth option is Allahumma Rabbana laka alhamd. So it's, it's very easy. It's very, very easy. Right? Four options. Rabbana walaka alhamd. And you can add Allahumma to that. That's option number two. Allahumma Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Or we can say, Rabbana lakal hamd. Without the wow. And you can add Allahumma to this version and say, Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamd. Four options have, four options have all been narrated from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So what do we do? We try and do all four. In the same salah, in the same uh, standing? Yeah. In the same standing? Well, no, not the same, but in the different standings. Okay. In the different standings? It doesn't have to be in the same salah. It can be, no problem. But what we are saying is, act upon all. Sometimes this one, then that one, then this one, then that one, then this one. In any, no particular order. Right? In no particular order. In this way, you are acting upon more of the sunnah. We've spoken about this. This principle many times, and it's a very beneficial principle, right? In this way, you were acting upon more of the sunnah. Walhamdulillah. Tayyib. Any questions on this? On the takbirat? And the issue of Sami Allah bin Hamida, Rabbana wa lakal hamd, or Rabbana lakal hamd, or Allahumma Rabbana wa lakal hamd, or Allahumma Rabbana lakal hamd. Right? The next hadith is from Abu Sa'id al-Khudri radiallahu anhu. He said, Kana Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam idha rafa'a ra'asahu min al-ruku'i qal. He said that when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came up, he raised his head from the ruku' Coming up from the ruku' Now again, the Sami Allah al-Man Hamida position. He comes up, he says, Sami Allah al-Man Hamida. We all and everybody responds by saying, Rabbana lakal hamd or walakal hamd. He said, the Prophet then said, when he came up, قَالَ اللَّهُمَّ رَبَّنَا الْحَمْدِ Now look at this wording, the Allahumma is mentioned. He said, اللَّهُمَّ رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدِ So in this wording, this one, this version is given. O Allah, our Lord, and to you is all praise. اللَّهُمَّ رَبَّنَا لَكَ الْحَمْدِ And then he continued and he said, مِلْأَ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَمِلْأَ مَا شِئْتَ مِنْ شَئِمْ بَعْدِ أهل الثناء والمجد أحق ما قال العبد وكلنا لك عبد اللهم لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد حديث صحيح مسلم 
So what is this now? This is a dhikr from the adhkar of the Prophet that he used to say after coming up from rukur in that standing position. In that standing position. You know, and I mentioned this, I think it was in a different class, but I mentioned this that when I went to Saudi for the first time before studying to Umrah, um, the, one of the things that stood out for me was whenever the Imam came to this position, there was a long period and a long pause. And this was very strange for me because the only thing I knew was Rabbana alakal hamd. That's all I knew. Rabbana alakal hamd. It takes you a second. And then the imam standing for like five, six, seven seconds, and you're thinking, what's going on? And he does this in every raka'ah. And this for me was very, you know, it stood out for me as, what exactly are they saying? And then after you study, and then you realize that there are many adhkar that the Prophet made in the salah. It's, I mean, the sujood, we mentioned a number of them in this class, right? We mentioned one last week, subhanakallahumma, rabbana wa bihamdik, Allahumma ghfirli. What was the others we mentioned? We mentioned Subbuh Quddus Rabbul Malaikati Wal Ruh. We've spoken about that one. Another one we mentioned Subhanadil Jabaruti Wal Malakuti Wal Kibriyai Wal Adama. That's another one we mentioned in this class. Right? And there are others as well that the Prophet used to do in the Ruku' and in the Sujood. This is an example of what he did coming up from the Ruku' while standing there. Right? So it wasn't just restricted to Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Rather to say Rabbana wa lakal hamd is a, a fard. That is your bare minimum. That is the, the bare minimum that you have to do in that position. To do more is now the sunnah. The more you do, the better. The more the merrier. Right? So in this case, we learn the hadith or the dhikr. Allahumma Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Mil as-samawati wal ard. What does that mean? Mil as-samawat wal-ard Referring to this praises again Referring to the hamd We are speaking about Allah's hamd We say Oh Allah unto you is all praise What type of praise? Mil as-samawat wal-ard A praise that covers and fills The heavens and the earth It's a praise Mil as meaning it covers and it fills The entire heavens And the entire earth The seven heavens and the seven earths this is what Allah is deserved of. This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. What is deserved and what is rightly deserved of. That everything in the heavens, everything in the earth, is, praises Him. And He's deserved of all praise. Because of His actions, what He has done in the heavens and in the earth. Because of His perfect attributes and names, He's deserved of all praise. So, uh, He's deserved of such a praise that covers... And that fills the entire seven heavens and all seven earths. Mil as-samawati wal ard. Wa mil ama shi'ta min shay'in ba'd. And whatever else you want after that. Whatever else you will after that. Whatever comes after the heavens and the earth. Even that. A praise that covers even that. Jannah, Jahannam comes after. The Akhirah comes after. The Barzakh comes after. Even within that, Allah is deserved of Alhamd. All praise. Right? Ahla thana'i wal majd. We say to Allah, You are the owner and the one that's deserved of thana' and majd. What's, what's, what's this too? Maybe you don't know thana'. What's majd? Because we dealt with majd. We spoke about majd for a, a long time. Where does majd come from? When did we speak about majd? Yes. Someone's mind is working at the back. Al-Majid and majd. We, in fact, when I spoke about the name Al-Majid, I mentioned this exact same dhikr, the same hadith. I mentioned it in that class. This exact same one we spoke about in that class. Ahlu thana'i wal majd. Allah is the one who is deserved of thana' which is glorification and praise of majesty. 
Majd. Al-Majid is who? What's, what does Allah's name Al-Majid mean? The name Al-Majid, what does it mean? That's Al-Hamid. Al-Hamid is the praiseworthy. The glorious. The glorious. We spoke about this name Al-Majid, the glorious. So he is the one that's deserved of glorification of Majd. And Thana, which is praise and exaltation. Thana is it's similar to praise and hamd, but it's, it's, it's something slightly different. Right? So he is the one who is deserved of majesty, glorification and exaltation. Ahlul Thana'i wa Ahlul Thana'i wal Majd. Ahakku ma qala al-abd. Which means the truest or the most true thing that the slave has says or says. The, the truest thing that the slave says. Ahakku ma qala al-abd. The thing that's most deserved for the slave to say. Most befitting, most true for him to say, is this what we just said now? Ahakuma. What did we say? Ahlathana iwal majd. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one deserved of praise and glorification and majesty. So we say then, Ahakuma qal al abd. This is the most deserved thing for the slave to say, the most befitting, the most true thing for him to say. وَكُلُّنَا لَكَ عبد. And all of us to you, Allah, we are slaves. وَكُلُّنَا And all of us, لَكَ for you, عبد. We are all slaves. And then we say, اللَّهُمَّ لَا مَانِعَ لِمَا أَعْطَيْتَ And this is a famous dhikr, which also comes up at the end of the salah. This is a sunnah also to say this part of the dhikr after the salah. Right? To say, Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayt. Wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at. Wa la yanfa'u dhal jaddi minka al-jadd. Allahumma la mani'a lima a'atayt means, Oh Allah, none can withhold that which you give. None can withhold that which you give. Wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at. And none can give that which you withhold. Right? And this is very similar to many ayat in the Quran. For example, in Surah Fatir, Allah says, مَا يَفْتَحِ اللَّهُ لِلنَّاسِ مِنْ رَحْمَةٍ فَلَا مُمْسِكَ لَهَا Whatever Allah decides to give of mercy, nobody can withhold it. وَمَا يُمْسِكَ فَلَا مُرْسِلَهُ مِنْ بَعْدِهِ And whatever Allah withholds, then none can give it after him. This is exactly what اللَّهُمَّ لَا مَانِعَ لِمَا عَطَيْتْ وَلَا مُعْطِيَ لِمَا مَنَعْتْ means. Oh Allah, there is none that can withhold that which you give. And there is none that can give that which you withhold. Right? And again the Sheikh here, he says, Whether we're speaking about worldly affairs or religious affairs, this applies to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you look at the worldly affairs, whatever the slave you know, desires of wealth, of, of, of mal, of money, then nobody can stop this from him if Allah decides to, to give it to him. No hasad, no person's du'as against him, no person opening up a shop next to him, for example, is going to prevent his money and wealth to come to him if Allah decides to give it to him. Because nobody can overpower Allah and Allah's decision and Allah's will. And in terms of deen, in terms of deen, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to bless a person, let's say with some knowledge, Islamic knowledge, he's been blessed with certain ilm, or hifz, whatever it may be, Allah gives to that person. Nobody can prevent it from happening, or stop it from, or, or turn it away from that person. Nobody can remove it from them. Some piety Allah gives them, some good qualities of ihsan or akhlaq, you know, khuluqun hasan, good character. Can anybody snatch it away from them? Nobody can snatch it away. Nobody can take it away. And the Sheikh is a beautiful example and he says, even you find people, هذا العالم. And this, this you find in the world today. Where people, they look 
for faults of a, a specific speaker or a sheikh or a da'i or a student of knowledge. And they search for his errors. And whatever they can find, they use against him. And they create a slander against him. And they create a fitna about him. And they make, you know, YouTube clips today and PDFs and where they write against people, taking things out of context. You making up stories, taking unverified information, refuting people. Right? For what reason? To drop this person in the eyes of the people. To belittle this person. Right? But yeah, the Sheikh says, no matter what these people do or try, if Allah gives that person honor, if Allah gives him status, if Allah puts his love for him in, in the hearts of the people, nobody can take it away. No matter how much they try, in fact, sometimes all that effort only increases the person's status and rank. And this we've seen amongst Ahlul Bid'ah towards Ahlul Sunnah. And we've seen it even within Ahlul Sunnah where people attack each other, you know, unnecessarily and out of hasad and out of various illnesses of the heart. This is happening today, unfortunately. But put your trust in Allah and Allah will raise your rank, right? And nobody can withstand this is what we explained. And nobody can give if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala decides to withhold. Right? And again, if Allah keeps something away, no matter how hard you can strive for something, or how hard somebody tries to give you that thing, it's never going to reach you. You're never going to truly acquire this benefit that you are looking for. Whether it's wealth, whether it's knowledge, whether it's hifth, whether it's a sport, whatever it may be. If Allah doesn't, if Allah withholds it, nobody, no coach, no teacher, no alim can teach you, can benefit you if Allah withholds it. Because everything is in the hand of Allah. This is what the statement, Allahumma la ma ni'alima a'atayt wa la mu'atiya lima mana'at means. Right? This is what's in the hand of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, Shaykh, um, so this is when you're coming up from the Quran. Yes. So, Shaykh said, um, Allahumma rabbana wa laka alhamd. You don't say qala. Qala means he said. Oh, okay. Oh, I thought so. So, the narrator said qala. Oh, okay. The narrator okay. said, he Allah said, Allah. narrating what the Prophet said. So, we don't say qala. Qala is part of the. The narrator's wording saying that the Prophet then said, you know, he said. So we say, Sami Allah, Ulman Hamida. And then, Allahumma Rabbana, Walakal Hamid. So we say, Hil Asma wa Idil. In this case, firstly, you can say any of the four. You can say, Rabbana Alakal Hamid, Rabbana Walakal Hamid, Allahumma Rabbana, anyone. Doesn't matter. That we said is the bare minimum. Either Rabbana Alakal Hamd, Rabbana Walakal Hamd, Allahumma Rabbana Alakal Hamd, or Allahumma Rabbana Walakal Hamd. No. No, 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 no. That's the fard. That's the wajib. That must happen first. Then we can add on and say, Mil Asamawat wal Ard, or Mil Amashit Tamisha Imbad. Ahla Thana Iwal Majd, Ahakuma Kalal Abd, Allahumma, what were Kuluna Laka Abd, Allahumma. لا مانع لما أعطيت ولا معطي لما منعت ولا ينفع ذا الجد منك الجد لست ذكر okay. The same with the sujood, right? If you want to say سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك وتبارك اسم نصر لست ذكر سبحانك اللهم ربنا وبحمدك اللهم اغفر لي that's a sunnah, right? It cannot take the place of the fault, which is Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. The same system. That you have to say. Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. Or in the ruku' Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim. Are you with me? To add on to that, the various adhkar we mentioned, like Subbuh, Qudus, Rabbi Al-Malaikat, Yawr Ruh, or Subhan, Nadil Jabarut, Yawr Malakut, Yawr Kibri, Yawr Azama, or Subhanak Allahumma Rabbana, Wa Bihamnik Allahumma Aghfirli, that's additional, meaning it's added onto the fard. But the fard you have to say. It doesn't take the place of the fard. Are you with me? The same here, you must say one of the four, Rabbana wa lakal hamd. Then you add on. 
Another thing to add on is might come up is hamdan kathiran tayyiban mubarakan fi. Right? That also comes in hadith. But we leave that for another time. Now we are discussing a different one, which is mil asamawat wal ard wa mil amasha wa mil amasha amishaim ba'd ahl athanay wal majid ahak ma qal al abd wa kulluna laka abd Allahumma la mani' lima a'tayt wa la mu'ti lima mani'at wa la anfa'u dhal jadd minkal jadd. Tayyib. So we say this after the ruku as I said. Naam. Um, and the shaykh says that you should know whenever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala withholds something from you or when he gives you something, this is connected to his hikmah. It doesn't just decide. It doesn't just happen at random who gets and who doesn't get. It's all connected to the hikmah of Allah. وَمَا تَشَاءُونَ إِلَّا أَيَّ شَاءَ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Right? Whatever Allah wants, it only happens with the word of Allah. Right? And then Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَلِيمًا حَكِيمًا Indeed, Allah is all-knowing and the most wise. This happens through His wisdom. That's a point that the Shaykh makes. So, there's no need for hasad. There's no need to be angry. We've spoken about the decree of Allah. We've spoken about tawakkul in Allah, being pleased with Allah's decisions. This all goes hand in hand. And because Allah is al-Hakim, He knows best. If it's not for me, He knows best. Understand? If it was made for someone else, no hasad, Allah knows best. Perhaps it wasn't good for me. Or it will come to me at a later time, when I'm deserving of it, when I earn it, or when it's best for me. Allah knows best. Tawakkul an Allah. Al-Hakim, the most wise. As for the statement, وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجَدِّ مِنْكَ الْجَدِّ What does this mean? وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجَدِّ مِنْكَ الْجَدِّ Means? Huh? Say again. That's the first part. Allahumma la mani'ali ma'atayt wa la mu'tiyali ma mani'at. None can provide whatever Allah withholds. That's the next, the last part is وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجَدِّ مِنْكَ الْجَدِّ Basically, that's what it means. Okay? وَلَا يَنْفَعُ ذَا الْجَدِّ Nor can the position of an owner benefit him before you, before you Allah. Right? Nor can the... So firstly, what is al-jadd? The al-jad, the owner of al-jad. What is al-jad? Al-jad is wealth or a great portion of something valuable. Right? So no person can benefit from his wealth or the one who has a lot of wealth. He cannot benefit, right, from that wealth before you. So basically, no. in other words, what does this mean? Except if you allow it. Except if you allow it. Huh? So, take anything. No matter what the person has. If he's got the money, if he's got the house, the cars, if he's got an army around him. Nothing of that can benefit him. Before Allah allows him to benefit from it. Nothing from that will, will even be prevented from him. Except if Allah prevents it from him. So even those who have, the hadith is basically saying, even those who have everything, even those who possess everything, they're not going to benefit from that thing before Allah allows them to benefit from it. So a person might have everything, but it's of no avail to them. It doesn't save them, doesn't give them anything, doesn't benefit them in any way. It's of no avail to them because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not allow them to benefit from them. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for some reason turned it away from them. Prevented the benefit from reaching them. Right? So this is basically what that statement means. But the one who is the owner of, of great position, he will not benefit from it before Allah allows him to benefit. Nor will he be prevented from it before Allah Prevents him, prevents him from it. And it's all in the hand of Allah. It's all in the decree and the abilities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tayyib, the main benefit of this hadith is it's mustahab to recite this dhikr 
coming up from the rukur. It's mustahab to recite the zikr when coming up from the rukur. Right? It's a sunnah. No doubt. The time. طيب. The next hadith from Ibn Abbas عنهما, He said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said Umir to an asjuda ala sabati a'zimin ala al-jabha wa ashara biyadi ila anfi wal yadayn wal rukbatayn wa atrafi al-qadamayn Muttafaqun alayhi Now we move to the sujood He said that I was instructed to make sujood on seven parts Number one is the jabha, the forehead And he pointed to his nose so it's the forehead and the nose, and the two hands, the two knees, and the ends of the feet, yani the toes, right? These parts, they have to touch the ground in sujood. They have to touch the ground in sujood. You try your best. You try your best, right? If... if if the toes just touch that, then that's already sufficient, right? Up is up is bare minimum. Up is bare minimum. Press so that the toes face the qibla. That's the best way. To just let the toes touch the ground. That's the bare minimum, right? But to bend the toes slightly and to so that they are basically facing the qibla. This is the best way. This is the preferred way. Tayyib. The main thing to point out here for me is the head and the nose must both be on the ground. You don't see people making sujood with their hands off the ground. The hands is clear. The knees are clear. Right? But if somebody decides to raise a knee in the salah, in the sujood, then this is not permissible. Or even take one hand off. This is not permissible. The hands stay on the ground, the knees, they stay on the ground, and the feet. So I think what, what might happen is, you might see people raising their feet. They put their feet in the air. This is not permissible, it doesn't count as a sajda. And regarding the head and the nose. A common mistake is, people put their head on the ground without their nose being on the ground. Without their nose being on the ground, and this is a major mistake, because does not count as a sajda. This does not count as a, um, as a sajda. So we've spoken about the toes issue now. Another issue that comes up is if there's something between your head and the ground. If there's something that comes between your head and the and the ground. Right? Is this permissible or not? I'm not allowed to wipe it off. A like a blanket, like oh. a stone, like a turban, anything that's between your head and the ground, anything, right? So the ruling on this is, firstly, if it's one of, if it's a part of your body that's coming between your head and the ground, then this is not, then it's not acceptable. And I actually experienced this recently, where. Like your hand, yes. I actually experienced this recently. It was, it was, it was actually on a. Khalas, I won't give the context, but what I saw was is somebody put their hands down like this next to each other, and they made such the on their fingers. They they put their head on their fingers, right? This doesn't count as a sajda. This doesn't count as a as a sajda because it's now on your fingers and not on the ground, right? Okay. So a mat. Or a carpet or a sajada, it's fine. Why? It's still on the ground. It's still on the ground. Okay? It's not a problem with this, it's still on the ground. That's basically there more for, uh, what's the word? Slight comfort. And also, so that you don't put your head on dust or on something, you know, it's cleaner and it's, it's more comfortable. There's no problem in this. But, 
when it comes to let's say uh, a, a turban or someone's wearing a scarf like a shimag on his head and as he goes down that comes before him what do we say about this? we say if there's a need for it then it's something good if there's no need then it's actually makru it's actually like a, like a kufiya it's actually makru so that shouldn't be the case it should be pushed back so that your head can touch the ground this is what we want this is more preferred if it is there it's, it's still a valid sujood it's still a valid sujood but preferably you want your head to touch the ground so there's a hadith where it was extremely hot in the time of the Prophet and when they went, went to Jude, they opened up a scarf or some type of blanket when they made sajda because of the heat. In this case, we said that's, that's definitely recommended because there's a need. There's no need, you know, why are you making on a scarf, why are you making, put your head on the ground for the sake of Allah, right? Um, so it's makru, but it's valid. Like, so they put the musalli in front of you, like you're covering your knees, so you put the knees on the musalli, like your forehead and your hands goes on the ground. It's no problem. It's no problem. Like I said, if it's for comfort, for your knees, your knees don't get sore, maybe. No problem. And a cushion, but cushion under the knees is not the musalli. A cushion is a bit of a problem because that's not on the ground anymore. Okay. And, and your knees will then sink into the cushion. You know, so it's a bit of a problem because even the issue with the face which I was going to talk about now is that if you make salah on something extremely soft, right, it can become problematic. So let's say you make salah on a, on a bed. Is it permissible? No. Okay. Why is it not permissible? But technically, it's not about the ground necessarily. You are still making sajda, right? On something. But are you able to make a valid sajda or not? That's the question. That's more the question. It's not necessarily the ground. The hadith says you have to make sajda upon seven parts of your body. Right? doesn't actually mention the ground. So we said if it's done on a mat, it's fine. If it's done with a scarf between your head, it's fine because your head's touching you know, it's upon seven parts. It's upon seven parts only. The only thing that you are making sajda on is seven parts. The problem with the bed and the cushions is what? Sometimes it is so soft that when you make sajda, <coughs> your feet should be fine, your knees should probably be fine, your hands must probably be fine, but your face, your face will sink into the bed. If it's a soft bed, if it's a firm bed, it should be fine. But the moment, and, and the thing is this, when you make sajda, you're not just supposed to let your head touch the ground as in, you know, like uh, just a slight touch. You're supposed to be firmly fixed on the ground. So your head is on the ground. Not saying press your head in the ground, like you end up with a headache, but you are firmly on the ground. You understand? So it's not about... You know, lightly just putting your forehead on, forehead on the ground, so it is just touching. No, it has to be firm. Your hands are firmly on the ground, your head, your shoulders, and your, and your, shoulders, sorry, your nose and your head is firmly on the ground. If this is done on a bed, what's going to happen? It can sink into the bed on a cushion. It will definitely happen on a cushion. It will sink in, and you are no longer on your head and your forehead anymore. And your nose, your whole face is in the, in the sujood now. Your whole face is now in the sujood and this is now problematic. Understand? So if it's too soft, like some ulama had a problem with those extremely soft spongy musallas. Because sometimes when you go too hard on it, you know, it's, it's, it's so soft that it, your body goes in and uh, this is, they had a problem with this. So it shouldn't be too soft. Where your, where your parts are going to sink in and it sort of covers other parts of your body. Right? It shouldn't be too soft like this so that your face or something sinks in. That's not permissible.
So that's the problem with making on a bed. Well, pr- firstly, the balancing issue will be an issue. Secondly, the issue of, um, um, you know, if it's too soft and you make proper sajda, your cheeks will be making sajda with you. You know, your lips may even be in the bed and, and so forth. And this won't be a proper sajda in any case. And this is the problem with that. But to make on anything else for no reason, like a kufiya or a scarf, we say it's makru, but there's no sin in that and it's valid. It is, it is valid. What's important is you are upon seven parts of the body. The next hadith is from Ibn Buhayna radiallahu anhu, that the Prophet when he made salah and he made sajda, فَرَّجَ بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ حَتَّى يَبْدُوا بَيَاضُ إِبْطَيْهِ مُتَّفَقُونَ عَلَيْهِ We mentioned this hadith, that he spread his arms open and apart from his body, such that you could see the whiteness of his armpit. You could see the whiteness of his armpit. Right? And from this, what do we learn from the sajda? You should not be making sajda with your arm close to your body. Right? Should not be making sajda with your body closed up. Rather, you open your arms apart, wide from your uh, from your body. Right? This is what the Prophet used to do. And of course, in his time, he didn't wear a shirt or a thobe like this. He wore a wrapper around him. So sometimes in the sujood, you could see underneath. And that's why they say they could see the whiteness of his armpits. Whereas with us, you wouldn't see it either, no matter how wide you put it. Because the type of clothing that we wear, unless it's a short sleeve with a, with which is quite wide, in that case you might, but generally speaking you won't see it. Because of a normal thawbul cover. Or even a t-shirt will not expose uh, in that case. Tayyib, but this is only done for a person praying by himself. Not done in jama'ah. Why? You are now going to harm the person besides you. Right? And this applies for ma- ma- males and females, okay? But it shouldn't be done in jama'ah because you're going to harm the person besides you. So this should be avoided in, in jama'ah. The next hadith from Bara ibn Azib radiallahu anhu, he said that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, إِذَا سَجَدَّ If you make sajda, فَضَعْ كَفَّيْكَ Then put your hands down on the ground, وَارْفَعْ مِرْفَقَيْكَ Then raise your elbows. Clear hadith, right? Not much to explain there. Put your hands on the ground. So there's no option about the hands. And your elbows have to be off the ground, raised up. Question though, on the hands. When you put your hands in sajda, are the fingers together or apart? The fingers are together. Just more, just like, not clinch them tight, just together. But not apart. Try and keep them like this, you know, there's no gaps. Right? But don't don't make it tight, you know. Just keep it close together. And facing the Qibla. The fingers are together facing the Qibla. This is in sujood. Yeah, like this. More or less facing the Qibla, you know. As best as you can. No, no, bring it together. Bring it together. The fingers together and they face the Qibla. Right? Secondly, where do you place the hands? So you can either place it in line with the ears or with the shoulders. Right? So you can decide any of this is narrated, no problem. Top of the ears, bottom of the ears, or the shoulders, all of this is narrated. You can choose one or do all three at different times, that's the best. Another hadith from Wa'il ibn Hujr anhu that the Prophet said, when he made ruku' he would open his fingers apart. So in ruku' you put your hands on your knees. In this case your fingers are spread open. And when he made sujood he closed his fingers. As we explained. So that's as clear sunnah for hadith. In ruku' your fingers are apart on your knees holding your knees. And in ruku' Your fingers are on the ground, your palms are on the ground, your fingers closed together facing the Qibla. Right? I think we'll stop here, inshaAllah.
wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik